Good morning. Oh, <laughs> morning, Hope Church. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with the uh, movie something back. If you're familiar with the movie Antoine Fisher. Um, Antoine Fisher is a writer. Hold on a second. <laughs> right now? Okay. Antoine Fisher is a writer whose early life was detailed in a movie of the same name. Uh, the movie details his childhood growing up in uh, the foster care system of the state of Ohio. And uh, in the movie, he reads a poem to his uh, therapist. And so I wanted to read this brief poem. He says, who will cry for the little boy, lost and all alone? Who will cry for the little boy, abandoned without his own? Who will cry for the little boy, he cried himself to sleep? Who will cry for the little boy, he never had for keeps? Who will cry for the little boy, he walked the burning sand? Who will cry for the little boy, the boy inside the man? Who will cry for the little boy who knows well hurt and pain? Who will cry for the little boy he died again and again? Who will cry for the little boy, a good boy he tried to be? Who will cry for the little boy who cries inside of me? I wonder if you've ever, if you ever feel like uh, Antoine Fisher. Uh, my work as a counselor has shown me that this is something that a lot of people feel in our society today. Um, I'm not talking only about people who don't have a family. I'm talking about people who are married. I'm talking about children. I'm talking about teenagers. I'm talking about uh, single adult people. But uh, there are people everywhere. There are people uh, in our community, there are people in our in our uh, workplaces. There are people where we go to school. Uh, there are people who feel alone and lost, and without any real connection. Uh, and maybe even you, maybe you're you're you are married and you do have a family, but you feel disconnected. And so you can relate to uh, Antoine Fisher. And if you've never seen that movie, I really strongly recommend that you, you see that movie. It's pretty powerful. Um, so you know what I tell people who are feeling this way, who are disconnected, I tell them, you need a new family. Now, I'm not saying, I don't tell them to get rid of their current family. I don't tell them to uh, cut them off. But what I tell them, though, is you need to establish new relationships you need to establish healthy relationships. You need to, to form a connection uh, to other people. Uh, you need to, to be understood and accepted and loved as you are. And we all need that. Now, um, you know what they call in the foster care system, 
uh, what, when they ask the foster care kids what they want most, and they say, I want a forever family. A forever family. And I have news for you. If you are a Christian, you have a forever family. And that, that's what I want to talk about this morning. Um, um, we've been talking about intentional faith. Pastor uh, wanted to start this series in, in, in uh, August. And, and Phil uh, did a great job introducing the subject of what it means to live out our faith. And so we're not just talking about learning theology, learning the Bible. We want to put into practice. We want to live out our faith. And this is something that I feel that we really need to focus on as a church. And that is living out in community. Now, I know that this might sound strange because we are so disconnected. And we are in our homes and and except for the times that we may get to go out to go to church or have a dinner or go to the store, we are in our homes. And so we're kind of separated, we're kind of isolated. But I think that this is so important, especially with what we're going through as a nation, that I feel like this is something that as a church, as Christians, that we cannot, we cannot leave to the side. We cannot say, well, we'll wait to the to the pandemic's over, and we'll, then we'll start getting back in community. No. We need the words of the Apostle Paul that were written so long ago. We need that today. So I want us to turn to Colossians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Colossians chapter 3. And I'm going to read from the New International Version. Um, the Apostle Paul writes, Therefore, as God's chosen people... Holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. So I don't know if you can see what I have in my hand. This is the 40-day prayer covenant. And uh, our last pastor, he absolutely loved to give this little card away, uh, Roger. And he would say, why don't we do a 40-day prayer covenant? And uh, my favorite part of this covenant is the very first line. And it says, Dear Father, thank you for your grace that has made me one of your dearly loved children. One of your dearly loved children. I love, I love that. If you and I have put our faith in Jesus, if we have trusted in his death and his resurrection, 
for the forgiveness of our sins. We are children of God. We belong to a family, and it's a huge family. You say, oh, I got a big family. Well, you, you, you have a, if you are a Christian, you and I belong to a huge family. And so what I want to start with, I want to talk about two things this morning. I want to talk about who we are as a family and what the rules are in our family. I don't know if you ever sat down with your kids when your kids were, kids were younger and you had a family meeting and you said, okay, these are the rules. And some rules you have, you know, you kind of gradually teach them or you teach them just through, through example or whatever. But at some point, maybe you've done that. You've sat down with them and said, these are the rules. Well, so I want us to talk about our identity, the family identity, and the family rules. So first of all, if you look at Colossians 3.12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. So the first part of the identity, of our family identity, is that we are chosen. We are chosen. Just to make this clear, you may, you may, you, uh, I don't know what Calvinist, non-Calvinist. You know what? We are all chosen. We are chosen by God. Salvation and redemption are God's work. Yes, we have to put our faith in Him. We have to put our trust in Him. But salvation and redemption are God's work. God chose us. God wanted us. We belong. You and I belong. Look at what 1 Peter 2.9 says. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You and I are chosen. We are special. We are wanted. We belong to God. We are not Nobody, we're somebody, but we belong. We have a, a family, and we have an identity. And the first part of our identity is that we were wanted and we were chosen. And so that's, that's who we are. Uh, and But you'll notice, he says, he called us out of darkness into his wonderful light, which leads us to the next part of our identity, holy. He says, you are God's chosen people, Holy. You know, the word holy means to set something apart. It means something is sacred. But, but there's even an, even an even deeper word. The original word means it's whole. W-H-O-L-E. Complete. Perfect. And so he said, oh, wait a second. You've not met my husband. Or you've not met my wife. They're not perfect. They're Christian, but they're not perfect. Well, not, none of us are perfect, but in God's eyes, he sees us as holy, he sees us as complete, he sees us as perfect. That is our identity. I don't know what you struggle with, your temper, uh, lust, pride, whatever it is, in God's eyes, we are holy. We are holy. We are part of God's family. If you if you look at uh, uh, First Peter, um, chapter one, verse fifteen, he 
says, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. You know, uh, um, so because we are Christian, we are supposed to be different. Uh, there's, a fr- there's a phrase that says, if you were being prosecuted for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Could Mike, could Mike uh, uh, Wilson get you off? If you were convicted for being a, a Christian, well, you, if you were being prosecuted for being a Christian, I want to change that. If you and I were being prosecuted for being holy, would, would there be enough evidence to convict us? So yes, in God's eyes, we are holy. In God's eyes, we are perfect. In God's eyes, we are complete. But we realize that down here on earth, in in the meantime, until we get to heaven, we are not holy. We are struggling. Paul says, I'm the chief of sinners. So the goal is to do what Peter said. As he who called you is holy, so be holy in all that we do. The last part of our identity is we are dearly loved. We are dearly loved. The Greek word here is agapeo. And you know, you've heard that. Uh, agape. Agape love. And I, I got this from um, a precept Bible study group in Austin, Texas. They have a commentary that is just outstanding. Um, I'd recommend that if you're doing Bible study. But it says agapeo, which is the perfect tense, which signifies Past completed action with present ongoing result or effect. This is something that happened in the past, but the effects of it are still going on today. That's what that word means. It's not only God said, oh, I love you, but that love never stops. It ne- it ne- he never ceases. It, it never changes. That's God's love for us. It's unconditional. It's undeserved. And it's unending. It's unending. This guy, uh, Richard Neal Donovan, he says the word is used to speak of something that is beloved, something that is treasured, something that is so precious that the person, in this case God, would be loath to part with it. That's how valuable it is. I don't know what, what you have in your home. You know, they say, if there was a fire in your home, what would you grab? Some of you would grab your, your pet. <laughs> Maybe some of you would grab your pictures. Maybe some of you would grab whatever it is, but you would grab it because it is important to you. It is precious to you. And I know you, you, had your grand, you were taking care of your grandchild. That would be the first thing you'd go for, right? Because you, you love your children, your grandchildren, your family, your, your, your spouses, you know, um, marriage and family therapist. And I see couples come in and in the midst of severe conflict and talk about feeling disconnected, talk about feeling unwanted, talk about feeling unloved. I've seen that. I see that on a regular basis in my office. And so what I, I'll encourage my uh, clients to do something. If you're married, look, look at your look at your left hand. You can see I'm not. 
But if you're married, look at your, look at your hand, your, your left hand. And I asked the couples to remember how they met. Ask the couple what attracted you to your, to your spouse. And, 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 and ask them to look at that symbol. Because what that means is someone wanted you. Someone loved you. Someone wanted to be with you. Someone couldn't imagine living the rest of their lives without you. Now, unfortunately, life happens, and those feelings go away, and people sitting in my office, they wonder if their spouses love them anymore. They wonder if they love their spouse. I am glad that we don't have to wonder if God loves us. We never have to wonder. He never grows tired. He never... He never finds us annoying. He never finds us boring. He loves us as much now, today, as he ever has. We are dearly, dearly loved. Uh, look at John 3, chapter 1, verse John 3, 1. It says, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. This is who we are. He chose us. He makes us holy. And He loves us. That is our identity. That is our identity. Next, the family rule. Well, first of all, in, 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 uh, I'm going to read these point by point. First of all, as a members of the family, we are to deeply love one another. We are to deeply love one another. That's the fill in in your, in your outline. Let's look at verses 12 through 14 one more time. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. So, uh, Trudy, I want you to leave this slide up because I want to highlight what it means to deeply love one another. The very first thing, it says compassion. In the original language, the word literally is bowels of mercy. That doesn't sound, that doesn't sound too. <laughs> this is the Greek. Bowels of mercy. You know, you know when, 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 uh, when you see something that breaks your heart, a child crying, somebody who lost a loved one, someone whose home was destroyed by a natural disaster, and you see the, you see the suffering on TV or, or you see it because you're, you're, you know them and something inside of you is moved physically. I don't know about you, but, but me, when I see something, when I see an animal 
that is injured. There's something inside. It's, it's, it's right, in, right here. And it feels, it, it, it's hard to describe, but I, I know some of you know what I'm talking about. You're moved. You're literally physically moved by what, what you're witnessing. And that's what God wants us to have with each other. Now, here's the thing. You see a homeless person on the street. You see a, a child that is, is crying or, 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 or someone that is, is, is uh, upset experienced grief or lost. You want to you feel that. But here, as the expository dictionary of Bible words says, the call is more than appeal for us to feel with and for the needy. It is a call to care enough to become involved and to help by taking some action. And I, I know some of you take action. You see that person and you go and you grab them and you give them a hug or you see the homeless person and you, you give them some money or you buy them some food or you see someone you can tell that they, they've experienced a job loss or financial difficulty and you give them some money unspeknown to them sometimes because you are moved with compassion next is kindness kindness, I love this, this W. Faber says, kindness is the overflowing of self upon others. We put others in the place of ourselves. We treat them as we wish to be treated ourselves. We change places with them. So when you see someone and they're hurting or they're suffering and you put yourself in their place and you do for them what you would want someone to do for you. That's kindness. Humility. William Barclay says humility is the awareness that God is the creator, man is the creature, and in the presence of the creator, the creature, the creature cannot feel anything else but humility. You know, if, 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 uh, if God were to physically manifest himself like he did in the, in the old days, in the Bible days, we would not even be able to, to stand in his presence because he's so awesome. You only need to spend a few moments contemplating the holiness of God, the greatness of God, his power, his might, his wisdom, his knowledge, his strength. And that just completely removes all of our pride. So that's the first part of humility. The other part of the humility is based on the belief that all men are the sons of God and there is no room for arrogance when we are living among men and women who are all of royal lineage. If you have children, wouldn't it drive you crazy when one of them a little bit a notch up <laughs> their brothers and sisters? And you're like, no. Kind of drove me crazy when, my, when we did something that was noteworthy in my family. I have four brothers. And people would go up to my mom and my 
dad, they say, oh, your son is a great, and not just me, my other brothers, I have a talented brother, he plays guitar, music, sing, I mean, all, all kinds of talented, talent in our family. And they would say, your son is such a, a great musician, or a great singer, or a great preacher. And mom, dad always said this, I'm proud of all my sons. <laughs> hey, mom, it'd be all right just to say one time that you were proud of me, <laughs> just me. But she wanted me, to, I don't know, I try to figure out, is she doing it for them or is she doing it for us? I'm proud of all my children. And that is how our God is. He's proud of all of us. He's proud of all of us. He loves us all the same. He doesn't, God does not have any favorites. I don't know if you were the favorite or you weren't the favorite in your growing up, but guess what? It's, if you're not the favorite, that's not cool. <laughs> but there are no favorites. God has no favorites. Forgiveness. Forgiveness. I love this one. I'm sorry. I jumped ahead. It's gentleness. Gentleness is a patient submissiveness to offense. Free from malice and desire for revenge. Controlled strength. The ability to bear reproaches and slight slights without bitterness and resentment. When someone offends you, be gentle. Be gentle. When someone offends you, control your strength. Don't become bitter. Don't become resentful. That's what it means to be a part of the family of God where we are gentle with each other. We need, in our society, there's such a lack of this. Patience. The next one's patience. Patience. William Barclay says, as the Greeks use it, usually meant patience with people. It is the ability to not lose patience when people are foolish, not to grow irritable when they seem unteachable. It is the ability to accept folly, the perversity, the blindness, the ingratitude of men, and still remain gracious. If you have teenagers or you ever had teenagers, this one right here, you know what that, you know how hard it is. You know how hard it is to be patient and not grow irritable. You know how hard it is, but that's what they need. And that's what we need. You know, one, one thing that I tell people, and again, couples, families, whatever, be patient. Be patient with your spouse. Because one day you may be the one screwing up. One day you may be the one that's foolish and acting crazy, and you would want your spouse to be patient with you. Be patient. Forbearance. I, li- I love this one. You ever, you ever see people get in a, about to get in a fight and someone grabs them? Have you ever been grabbed when you were about to get into a fight? Somebody had to hold you back. You said, hold me back. That's literally what this word means. But, say, but there's no one to hold us back. We've got to hold ourselves back. John MacArthur says forbearance is to endure, to hold out in spite of persecution, threats, injury, indifference, or complaints, and not retaliate. 
remember uh, uh, I went to the movies. This was 20 years ago or so. I took my nieces to the, the AMC theater right there on, on uh, Highway, uh, Beltway 8 and 45. And we're walking along. They were like 17 and 18 years old. And they're walking along. They're walking right down the middle of the parking lot going to the movie theater. And I didn't see who was behind us. And uh, so I, when I finally saw that there was somebody behind, behind us, I moved around. I moved my nieces to the side. And the guy in the van was like, <laughs> I couldn't hear what he was saying, but he was obviously very upset with me. And I went, I should have done this. I didn't, I wasn't forbearing, but I went, <laughs> like, what? What's up? He got out of his car. And uh, he looked like he was one of those, he looked like he was one of those weightlifter dudes. He comes up to me, gets right in my face, and starts yelling at me. And I did not, I didn't say anything. I just remember my dad saying, get the first punch. That might be the only punch you get. But I restrained myself. And the guy, he didn't punch me, but he had a big old drink in his hand. Whoosh. It all over me. In spite of persecution, threats, injury, indifference, do not retaliate. Do not retaliate. Um, forgiveness is the uh, is an entire wiping of all enmity and irritation clean out of the heart. That's forgiveness. Um, you know when someone has offended you. You know what bitterness feels like. You see that person and you're kind of like, <laughs> and maybe you're good enough to where you don't move. But I've seen I've seen this where people are ah, laughing, woohoo, and having a great old time, and then someone walks in and they're like, hmm, what's that about? You know, I hang around, I, hang, I, I told the group that I hang out with that I was going to mention this. Because uh, I'm part of a group, we, we, we're like a lunch group after church, and very often we'll go together. And I love this group. But I can tell, they forget that I'm a family therapist sometimes. And I pay attention to different dynamics. And I can tell when one is mad with the other, even if they don't say anything. You know? But you know what? They're still have lunch. And I can tell you right now, if these folks were not forgiving, we would not be able to continue to have lunch like we did. So I'm glad to be a part of a group that's forgiving, and that doesn't hold grudges. That's, that's what we're supposed to be. The last one, he says, is put on love. Over all these, uh, I laughed when I, when I saw this in the commentary. It says love is actually like a girdle. <laughs> that's what the word is, literally. 
put on love as a girdle. Keeps everything together, keeps everything connected, right, in place. Love. And, and I don't need, I didn't need to go to a commentary. I didn't need to go to the Greek for the definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. You know, so many people have this red at their wedding. I think this is something that needs to be read on a regular basis for couples because, and for families and for churches because this is how the family of God is supposed to treat one another. All of these things that were described to deeply love each other is what is contained in 1 Corinthians 13. Now, I'll be honest with you, that's a tall order. Some of you were like, as you were listening to the definitions of what it, what it means, compassion, gentleness, patience, you're like, man, there's no way. There's absolutely no way. I, I, I can't do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> that's not me. Well, I can tell you what. We cannot do it with the, without the power of the Holy Spirit enabling us to do this. Now, when I read this passage, when I read First Corinthians, uh, Colossians 3, 12 through 14, I said, this looks familiar. Where have I seen this description before? Exodus uh, chapter 34, verses 6 through 7. Moses asked God to show him his glory. And God says, okay, I'm going to show you. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, that famous hymn. I'm going to move my hand, and you're going to see my, my backside, and I'm going to declare the name of the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses, proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. That is our God. That is our Father. We're His children. We're supposed to act like Him. We're supposed to love like Him. There it is. There it is. So, there are rules. The first rule is to deeply love one another. Deeply love one another. The second rule, number two, be at peace with one another. Let's look at Colossians 3, 15. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. And be thankful. 
Matthew Henry, the old, old commentator, writes, we are called to this peace, to peace with God as our privilege and peace with our brethren as our duty. Be united in one body. We are called to be at peace with one another as members of the natural body. You know, it's, it's, it's sad. It's really sad that this is missing in our relationships as Christians. In fact, this is, this is something that the Apostle Paul and the Apostle James wrote about. Look at uh, Galatians 5, 14 through 15. It says, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. James 4, 1 through 3. One through three what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires, desires that battle within you? You desire, but you do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Again, if you're a parent and you've had children, it can drive you crazy when your children aren't getting along. And you know as a parent the reason they're not getting along it's because one of them wants this and the other one wants that and, and they can't come to any kind of compromise. They don't want to share. They don't want to bend. They don't want to uh, uh, take turns. You, you, you know. It's, it is frustrating, frustrating you like nobody's playing with anything. Everybody's going to go to their room and, and nothing's going to happen. Peace and quiet. Rick Kobojek is shaking his head. seen a lot of grown people act like like this. Fighting, arguing, refusing to compromise, refusing to listen, refusing to try to just let someone be. Just let them be. Let your partner be. Let your spouse be. They don't have to do it your way. And your children too. I mean, you know, pick your battles, right? It does not have to be your way. The universe is not going to end if you let them do it a different way than, than you would do it. Be at peace with one another. But deeply love one another, rule number one. Deep, deep, uh, be at peace with one another. And finally, grow with one another. Look, look at uh, Colossians 3, 16 through 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. I love John MacArthur. It says, the truths of the scripture, scripture should permeate every aspect of the believer's life 
and govern every thought, word, and deed. The word dwells in us when we hear it, handle it, hide it, and hold it fast. To do those things, the Christians must read, study, and live the word. Grant Richardson says teaching has to do with the communication of truth, but if we're going to teach, we must learn. If we're going to talk, we must listen. If we speak, if we, speak we must hear. And then he goes on to say about admonishing. Admonishing has nothing to, has to do with, sorry, showing someone else how to execute the Christian life. Admonishing means to place in the mind personally. And sometimes it's translated in the New Testament to warn. So we're to teach one another. We're to admonish one another. We do that when we do our Bible studies. We do that when we uh, uh, have our, our prayer time, our family devotion. We do that when we meet a brother or sister and we study God's Word together. We teach and we admonish each other. What's the content of our teaching? It's the Word of God. It's God's Word. You know, I think it's wonderful when, when we gather together just to have fun, when we go to a restaurant or we, we go out for coffee. It's wonderful. But if we don't have a time in our fellowship, in our community, at some place in some time where we are studying God's Word and when we are praying, then we are missing something. We are missing. We are missing what it truly means to be children of God. You know, they, they said songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. You remember what we sang this morning? So easy just to sing a song. Our God is greater. Our God is stronger. Our God is higher than any other. We were singing that to each other. We should sing to each other. Because some of us may not feel that God is very great. Some of us may not feel that He's above everything. We may feel like life is, is out of control. But God is higher and stronger. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He is our God. He's our God. That's what we need to, to do. You know, I don't know if they had, if they had uh, songwriters like that. Songs like we have today. But you know what it said up there? It said they, they, they sang, you're supposed to sing songs, uh, songs, hymns, and spiritual songs. In, in one translation, it says psalm. So I want to show you Psalm 1. I don't know if this was saying, but this is what it says. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season 
and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. What a great encouragement about God's word. You know, I imagine you you do this with your children. When you see them walking down the path, down the path, what did it say? Who doesn't walk down the path of the wicked. When you see them standing in the way of sinners, when you see them sitting in the seat of mockers, you would say, hey, sit down. We are going to have a talk. And you will tell them, this is not how we live as Christians. We live according to God's word. You would take them aside. You know what? We don't take each other aside as grown-ups, as adult Christians, and say, I don't know, Jack. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, Pierre. I don't know if that was a good thing to do. I don't know if you should be saying that, talking that way. I don't know. We need to encourage one another. We need to teach one another. We need to admonish one another. God's word. So the family rules, deeply love one another, be at peace with one another, and grow with one another. So, so, um, we have the application. You cannot follow this text if you're not connected. If you come to church and you sing songs, and you listen to the message, and you pray, and then you leave, and on your way out, you say, hey, good to see you. See you next week. It's easy to love people, but that's all that you see. (laughs) When you start being around them, when they're in a bad mood, when they're hangry, hungry and angry, that's hangry when they're not getting along with their kids, when they're not getting along with their spouse, it is hard. It's much different. That's when you really see who people are. And we need to. We need to let people see us. And we need to let, uh, uh, they, they need to see, we need to see them. So here's the application. You can just run them, children. Get connected. Get familiar. Get close. Get connected. Get familiar, get close. You know, you can join Stephen. Boy, that young man looked kind of looked sleep provide, sleep deprived. <laughs> Poor guy. He's just a new daddy. If y'all if y'all didn't know that, he's a new daddy. And um, but he was talking about all the ways to get connected. There's Bible studies, men's fellowship meets six o'clock Monday morning, uh, Bible study on Wednesday night. Sunday school, and we have online options. We have we have in-person options. In fact, I told Scott we were going to meet for men's fellowship here at church next Saturday morning at nine. 
We're going to meet outside so the sun kills the coronavirus. But we're going to meet. You can join us if you want, but you need to get connected somewhere. And you need to get familiar. You need to, to get to know people. You need to ask them and, and hear them and hear their story and where they're from and what they like and what they don't like, what makes them mad, what makes them happy. Get to know your brothers and sisters in Christ. And then get close. And that means you let people see your hurt and your pain your sin and your struggle, and you allow them to see that. Uh, I told them that I was going to say this, but I have a friend, uh, y'all know, y'all know, Jorge Ember. And uh, um, he and I uh, are very good friends. And uh, theologically, he and I are very, very alike. Very conservative. But I think he may even be more conservative than me. So, but in other areas, we are extremely different. But the one thing I'll say about my brother is I know that he loves me and he accepts me just as I am. With all my opinions and values and stuff and to where and also he knows some of the things that I have struggled with and he'll call me up and we'll talk not just about sports the Astros we'll talk about whatever's going on in our lives and sometimes we'll go to breakfast sometimes we'll sometimes we'll just we'll, we I've been to his house get Connected. Get connected. Get, get familiar and get close. Um, let's pray. Would you bow with me in prayer?